Hear the word of the Lord to us from Mark 9. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly, I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Amen. Thank you, Cynthia. Good morning. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. It's an incredible time of the year to truly uh, give thanks to our Lord. We as a family uh, went up to Loman, Idaho, where my in-laws live full-time. They have a wonderful home cabin, and uh, it was was gorgeous up there. And the whole time, I just found myself being thankful to my Lord uh, for His beauty. As we drove up, uh, there was deer everywhere and elk, and there was snow on the ground, and and it truly was uh, to grandmother's house we go uh, on the journey. And then we got up there and, and uh, just celebrated life together and had lots of fun playing in the snow. And we made a, uh, a big, big bonfire. It was huge, really huge. And uh, it was so much fun and filled the whole sky. And, and the heat of that bonfire was incredible. We just had fun doing that. We... Uh, one of the great things I was just thankful for is I, I beat one of my sons uh, in Madden uh, football, uh, which I've never done. These kids are so good at their video games, and uh, we had a sweet time uh, playing games together and cards together. But one of the beautiful moments where I was just really thankful was as we gathered around for for Thanksgiving meal, uh, just thankful to the Lord of, of 
the beauty of family. Thankful to the Lord for all his gifts, uh, his abundance to us, his care for us. And we had several people come uh, to the table who were invited, who, who were uh, people who are in the process, in the process of understanding God's love, uh, in the process of knowing who he is. And I was so thankful for that. And it was just a reminder to me, as, as you sit and you look at the beauty of the table and all the good food that's there, and how inviting that is, uh, that that's what the Lord wants. He wants you to be invited to his banquet table. And, and he doesn't want you to miss out on the banquet. He wants you to have life in him and abundance in him. And we have so much, again, to be thankful for. The scriptures remind us in Psalm 106, Praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. Don't miss this one characteristic of God as we go through this passage this morning. Praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And his love, and here's the truth, his love endures forever. As we walk through this passage this morning, and quite honestly, there's some pretty hard words in this passage. I hope we will end up with a heart full of thankfulness. Thankfulness for God's amazing love towards us. Let's pray. Father, I just uh, thank you for your good word. I thank you for the season. And I thank you for uh, all that you've blessed us with uh, during this uh, time to rejoice and be thankful. Uh, You truly are good. And there are painful things in life and painful truths in life. Uh, But you are good, and your love endures forever. May your Spirit speak that to us this morning. Would you touch our hearts? Would you draw us to the banquet table? And Father, would your love uh, pour out on these dear saints this morning? In your name, amen. Well, let me just take you back where we've been in chapter 9 of Mark, just to refresh you and to bring you along the journey if you've missed some of it along the way. The beginning of chapter 9, we find Peter, James, and John, and they are with Jesus on the mountain, and and Jesus is transformed, transfigured. He is glorified. All His beauty and His glory is revealed to His disciples. Moses and Elijah show up in the middle of the presence of those guys, and God shows up and reminds them, this is my son, I'm well pleased with him. And Jesus is reminded of his purpose. And Jesus knows what he came to do to to die on the cross for our sin. And so his face is headed towards Jerusalem. And we see him coming down the mountain after being glorified. And Peter, James, and John enjoying that and understanding more who the Christ is. But then they come down the mountain and right away they enter into conflict and pain and struggle. This is where most of us live on a normal basis. And it's really the place where Jesus is found. They come down and there's a man whose heart is broken because his son is tormented with a demon. And if you remember that passage, they come down and the disciples can't cast out that demon. And Jesus brings them aside and says, This one 
is only done by prayer. And I believe he's reminding the disciples, you have to remain utterly, completely dependent upon me as your source of power. You can't do this in your own strength. I'm trying to give you faith and grow you in your faith. You cannot live life without faith in me, trusting me, depending on me. I am the Lord God in the flesh. I am the one who gives you the strength and the power to live life. I'm going to be going to the cross. I'm going to die. I will rise again. And then I'm going to ascend to the Father. And so you need to learn to live life without me in the flesh. And then from that place, as they're learning to understand who Jesus is, and they're, they're wanting to understand His kingdom and His kingdom work, which, which is always contrary to what our flesh wants, then we find the disciples in this incredible argument about who's the greatest. What a, what a fleshly deal we have. We always want to be first. And Jesus is trying to show them, no, this is not what my kingdom looks like. This isn't what it means to become first. This isn't what, how the kingdom of God is going to spread throughout the world. It's not going to be this mighty power that's going to come through and defeat the Roman government and free those who are oppressed. This isn't what it's going to look like. Let me teach you about the kingdom. Let me teach you what it means to be a follower of mine. Let me teach you about the character of who I am. If you want to be first, you shall be last. And what it means to be last is that you will be servant of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That's why he came. And he's teaching them and he's growing them in Christ. And he's wanting to show them what it means to be a follower and how the kingdom will expand and his face is headed to the cross. In about three months, he is going to die. He will take the sin of man upon himself so that we might have life. You know, it's a beautiful season where we celebrate Advent. And there's a lot of, uh, a, a lot of just joy in this season. But we can never forget the babe didn't stay a babe. The babe needed to grow up. And his purpose was to die. To cover our sin. To take our sin. To conquer sin. His purpose was to rise again. His purpose was to offer life to all who would believe upon him. That's why he came. And he wants every one of us to have relationship with him. To have life in him. Every one of us. That's why he sent his son. And so Jesus is raising up his disciples, wanting to offer salvation to those who would believe in him. And so we have much to be thankful for. Thankful for God's amazing love for us. Thankful because God's reach of love is so wide. Look at these verses. In verse 38, Teacher John said, We saw a man, he's driving out demons in your name, and so we told him to stop it, because he's not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said. No one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. 
For whoever is not against us is for us. And I tell you the truth. Anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. We can be thankful because God's reach of love is wide. I want to I want to lay the context for you because we can't miss the context in light of this whole passage. Again, because there's some pretty strong words laid out here in the passage. The disciples are still stuck in status, aren't they? Who's the greatest? We still want to understand that we're vying for position and and we want to be in this kingdom work, but we want to have status and power with you, Christ. And so we saw this other guy casting out demons. and We told him to knock it off. That's not how this thing's going to work out, God. We're part of your team. This guy over here is casting out demons. He's not part of the team. He's not one of us. Jesus is teaching what it means to be about servant of all. To get over yourself. That status is not what you're seeking. But that, the only status is to be that of servant. And pride is really starting to play out here with the disciples, isn't it? Look at that guy over there. He's not part of our group. We're the inner circle. You have one of these guys who is casting out demons. Again, you have people who are tormented with demons, and he's casting out... He's delivering people from this incredible torment in the name of Christ. This, This guy doesn't get a name. We don't really know who he is. Possibly he's one of the 70 that Jesus sent out, empowered to go and cast out demons and heal and to bring the gospel message. Possibly he's one of the 70. But he's, he's delivering, he's casting out. The, the reality is, is that the disciples had failed to cast out the demon prior, hadn't they? So not only are they jealous, but now they're prideful and now they're trying to develop their group that only they can be part of. We're the ones who are going to expand the kingdom. We're the ones who are going to have the power. Nobody else can be part of that. So we told them to knock it off because our feathers are ruffled. Jesus responds, don't stop him for whoever is not against us is for us. You see, the name of Jesus is being proclaimed. There are plenty who are coming against Christ at this moment, aren't there? There are plenty who are going against the kingdom being built, trying to knock him down and rebuke him and mock him and kill him. There are plenty who want to do that. You got a guy over here in my name who is casting out demons who are tormenting people and in the name of Christ, let them keep doing it. Jesus doesn't seem to be offended at all by this. This man isn't, doesn't appear to be a false teacher. He doesn't appear to be claiming, oh, come follow me. He's talking about Christ. He's proclaiming the name of Jesus. We're thankful because God's reach of love is wide. Dear saints, the kingdom is going to be expanded in so many ways and through so many different people and styles. And, 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 and it's going to be brought out to, through a variety of people 
through different denominations. God is going to use whatever he needs to use to bring forth his gospel message, to bring forth his life, to bring forth truth. And we don't get to claim that it's only ours and our group. The point is, as long as Jesus, the real Jesus, Savior of the world, the resurrected Jesus, as long as He is being proclaimed, let Him be proclaimed. There isn't just one way to do that. The disciples are trying to hinder that. But God's love is so far expanding. The disciples are trying to say, it's only our group that can do it. And here's the way it's to be done. You know, I kind of had this at, at Thanksgiving time. And was, we were just washing dishes. And as we're washing dishes, and we're doing the silverware, uh, some people were putting the silverware into the little basket just, just randomly, just in open spots. I know, right? And that's the way the other side responded. <laughs> the other side felt like, no, no, no. The spoons need to go with the spoons. And the forks need to go with the forks. And so on and so on. And I'm sitting there, and I, there kind of arose a little argument about how the silverware should go in. And I started to think to myself, I'm like, what is the ultimate goal here? Is not the ultimate goal to wash the dishes? to get them clean. Isn't that the ultimate goal? That they would come out washed? And yet we're arguing over whether we put the silverware in randomly or in order with the spoons and the knives, etc. And that's exactly what the disciples were doing. No, you've got to put spoons with spoons. And Jesus is going, no, no, no. Jesus is being proclaimed. That's the ultimate goal that he would be known and revealed. Oh, pride gets in the way. You know, Paul dealt with this, and he ended up saying in Philippians 1.15, listen, I know there's people out there, and they're preaching with false motive, and they have ulterior motives to harm me or to gain financial gain. They just don't have the best motives. But here's the truth. Christ is being preached, and so I rejoice. I let God deal with the rest of that. So even Paul arrived at that place. Pride gets in the way. I tell you the truth, anyone who gives a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. You see, giving a cup of water, that's such a menial task. That's so low. That's beneath me. It's not important work. The kingdom of God work must be bigger than this. The kingdom of God work has to have more value than bringing a cup of water. I think, again, what's happening, again, context, right? Disciples are really struggling with status. Who's the greatest? Who's going to be sitting next to Jesus? Who's going to come in conquering with him? Even one who gives a cup of water in my name. And they're struggling about, wait, I want to be next to Jesus. If I enter into giving cups of water, I will lessen myself. 
I'll lose my spot, so to speak. I'll lose my authority, my respect. And Jesus says, oh, au contraire, mon frère, that's not the way it plays out. You actually gain status. You gain reward. For the greatest shall be last and servant of all. You will not lose your reward by being servant. You gain it. Stop vying for position and power. I want the kingdom of God to expand. I want to use you disciples to go out and bring forth this gospel message. This is my desire. I want to train you. I want you to understand who I am. I want you to be empowered by me. And I want you to be servant of all. This is how the message is going to go out. Knock it off. Stop playing in your pride and stop wanting all this big position. Stop trying to to promote yourself so that you're up front all the time. Give a cup of water. That reflects Christ. Do that in a way that speaks of Jesus and His love. There must be payment. Jesus is going to the cross. His love endures forever, and His love expands out beyond all measure. But in order to have ultimate love and relationship fulfilled with us, to be close to us, to allow us to engage with holy God, to come into His presence, there must be payment for our sin. Sometimes I think we forget we have a sin problem. And that sin keeps us away from God, holy God. There has to be blood shed, innocent blood of the innocent lamb, Jesus. It's the only way to cover sin and to come before the Lord and be received as a child of His. To believe upon Jesus and to come into these loving arms of our God. There has to be a payment. Jesus is desiring all that would come to know Him. He doesn't want anyone, and He doesn't want anything to be a hindrance. Let them keep teaching about Me. Let them keep casting out demons. I don't want there to be a hindrance. And so now He brings strong words to His disciples. It's a serious issue. I've come because I need to die. I've come because I want relationship with my creation. I've come so that I'll rise again and I'll offer that opportunity for relationship. Don't hinder that. We are about serious business here. It is no little thing what we are doing. And disciples, I want you to be part of that with me. Don't get in the way of what God has in store. There is an ultimate battle, and it's the battle for the human soul and for the heart of men. And so we can become thankful for a loving God who protects His children. Look at verse 42. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Jesus is speaking about these young ones. Again, he has a young child in his presence. And so he uses this young child. Earlier he used the young child to to remind the disciples of several things. One is, listen, don't think you're better than this child. 
You should have faith like a child. You should value this child. And now he says, don't lead a child astray, a young one. And really speaking about a young one in Christ. Those who are learning to follow Jesus. Don't lead them astray. Don't cause them to fall off the path. If we stay in the context of disciples vying for position, arguing over who's the greatest, we can see some of maybe what's going on here. There are those who are watching. There are those who are wanting to engage. There are those who are coming to the banquet table and they're tasting some beautiful things and what is good, God's goodness. And and then at the banquet table, there's all this arguing going on. People hungering for life. And we've got people arguing over who's the greatest. And it throws people for a loop. Is this what it means to come into relationship with the living God? Is this what it looks like? Arguing over status? Jesus is training his disciples who will bring the good news of salvation to the world. It's serious business that I'm about. And you're part of that. Don't hinder this. Stop the arguing over who's the greatest. It's confusing. It's throwing people. I'm about bringing life. Don't get in the way of a young believer who's wanting to grow in Christ and know God deeper. Don't get in the way. It reminds me of of Jesus' rebuke to Peter. Remember, Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again. And Peter says, no way. You're not doing it, Lord. And what's Jesus' response? Hey, get behind me, Satan. Your mind are not on the things of God. They're on the things of man, on the things of earth. Jesus is training his disciples. He's training us. There's a bigger picture here. There are people who are dying. There are people who are literally going to go to hell, separated from God forever. And you're arguing about who's the greatest, and you're confusing people. There's some who were intentionally, they're just misleading people, these young believers in Christ. There's a real guarding about, especially those of us in leadership, and what we're bringing to young believers and those who are searching. In any format where we are leading and and teaching and training about who Jesus is, there is a warning, a strong warning here. You better be very careful about what you're bringing to people. There's consequence when we are taking someone, a young one, and we are taking them off the path of what's really happening, of life in Christ. It's just like a, like a millstone. It would be better if a millstone... There, there's two types of millstones. There was a little millstone where you would, in the house you'd grind some flour. Then there was a giant millstone. When we go to Capernaum uh, this summer with our Israel team, we'll, we'll walk into Capernaum and there's a giant millstone there. And it's heavy, 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 and it's big. And that's what he's talking about. It's the kind that, that would be rotated on the big grains, and, and it, was, uh, it was only could be moved by a donkey. It was so heavy. So it would be better for you to have one of those tied around your neck 
and thrown into the lake and taken down. The Romans actually did that to criminals and people who they felt like they just wanted to kill. So the, the disciples knew that image very well. And he's saying it would be better. Don't get in the way of what I've come to do. Don't hinder it. Don't stop it. Teach what is true. Teach about servant. Teach about the love of God. Don't mislead people. Don't draw them off the path. You're arguing about all this status and and prestige as though that's what the kingdom's about. It's not at all. And so there's a warning. You know, we are going to fall. We're going to make mistakes along the way. But it is a real warning about how serious God is about His love being poured out and that people don't mislead people in the truth. And then we let God judge those who are actually doing that. God's the only judge. Because there are leaders out there who are bringing an incredible lie to people. And we let God judge that. But He's serious about when you lead people astray. So we're thankful. You know what? Why? Because God is protecting His children, His young ones. And he wants, he wants His truth to go out. You see, there is an ultimate reality. The ultimate reality is that Christ came, again, Savior of the world, to offer life, came as a babe, His love endures forever. His whole story is about His love for us. The reality is, the reality is, if we choose not to receive, to believe, not to accept His love for us, He honors that choice. And ultimately, there will be a separation from God forever. You don't want to be with God? He honors that choice. He gives you free choice to choose Him or not. God is doing everything in His power to let you know how much He loves Him, to invite you in to the banquet table. Everything He knows how to do. Dying on the cross for that. Rising again. Building His disciples so they can bring the good news. Everything that He can so that man will not be separated from Him because of His love for you. That's why he gives such strong warning here. It's not, it's not to be mean. It's because of his love. I don't want anything to get in the way. I want you to know the reality of what's going on. I want you to have eyes that are eternal. And so we can be thankful for a loving God who justly deals with sin. And that's what he does here. Billy Sunday, who was an old great preacher, he says, one of the reasons sin flourishes is that we treat it like a cream puff instead of a rattlesnake. I think that's so true. We don't want to deal with sin, yet God in His love deals with sin. He exposes it. Why? So that we can be healed. Look what He says. If any one of you causes these little ones to sin, it would be better a millstone around your neck. If If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than go with two hands into hell. Again, sin, the wages of sin, Scripture teaches us, 
teaches us is death. A life of sin, a life separated from God, a life entangled with sin where we've never come to Christ and been freed from that sin, we end up separated from God and what he calls hell. Jesus speaks of hell. Jesus speaks of separation from God. He exposes it. Why do you think I'm doing everything that I'm doing? Why do you think I'm going to the cross? Because of my incredible love. I don't want you to be separated. I don't want sin to entangle you. I don't want to control your life. I want you to be free from it so that you may have life in Him. Kent Hughes says, Hand, the foot, and the eye represent the totality of life. The hand is what we do, and the foot is where we go. The eye is what we see. And the Lord, I think, is dealing severely with a couple things. One, the disciples' affection for status, right? Their desire to be great. Cut it off. And I think he's dealing with sin in general and how it destroys us and how he wants us to be free from it and that we need and the power of Christ to, to get rid of it because it will take our whole lives. Remember Remember Aaron Ralston, the hiker in Utah who got jammed in the movie 127 Hours? It's that imagery where he's in the canyon and an 800-pound boulder wedges against his arm and he's stuck. He tries chipping away at the boulder to get his hand free. He tries all kinds of stuff with ropes. Can't do it. Ultimately, what does he have to do? He has to cut off his arm at the elbow to save his life. To save his life. If he had held on that arm, he would have died. That's what sin does. Sin destroys. Sin kills. He sacrificed his arm so that he could live. The Lord isn't calling us and commanding us to physical surgery here. He's using the illustration of how strong it is. Because here's the truth, and and the scriptures speak of this, that real sin, it comes from the heart. That's what we need to deal with. It's not physical mutilation, but spiritual mortification of what's going on in our lives. Jesus is providing a way of salvation. Jesus is providing relationship. And he's allowing man to choose. He longs for relationship. He doesn't want any to perish. 2 Peter 3, right? The Lord is slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, instead he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And so Jesus in his love reveals truth about hell and this awful place that it is. Because he wants you to know he doesn't want you there. He wants you to know that he wants you to be in relationship with him. But hell is awful. It's so contrary. It's so opposite. You know, we, we think of all the evil going on in the world and we go... This is just too much. But here's the truth. God is still here. God is still present. Hell 
is the absence of God. Total absence of God. He doesn't want you there. He wants you in his presence. Bruce Willis was saying this about hell and his arrogance. He says, you know what? We used to hang this whole thing on one hook. If you don't do these things, if you do this, if you don't act morally, you're going to burn in hell. Well, unfortunately, with what we know about science, anyone who thinks at all probably doesn't believe in fire and brimstone anymore. So organized religion has lost that voice to hold up their moral hand. Obviously, we're more intellectual than thinking that there is hell. But Jesus seems to talk about it. It's this unquenchable fire. It's torment. It's separation. Hell is a place of punishment, Matthew 25 says. Hell is a place of fire, Luke says. Hell is a place of thirst. Hell is a place of pain, of divine wrath, 2 Thessalonians of frustration and anger, Matthew 13. Hell is a place of eternal separation from God, 2 Thessalonians 1, 8 and 9. Jesus is battling for the kingdom. Jesus is battling for life. And he's teaching his disciples, you know what? There's going to be painful sacrifices, plucking and cutting, cutting out that love of position, dealing with sin so they will not be separated from God. And God lovingly steps in and reminds them, this is our journey. And then he speaks the last thing here about salting them. It's kind of a challenging scripture. He says this, Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Everyone will be salted with fire. What does this mean? Salt and fire has the idea of of purification, of a time where we are going to go through this, this struggle and this trial. And I think as the Lord is raising His disciples, they're going to be salted with fire. They are going to be ones who are going to go through persecution and trial. This is what it means to be a follower of Christ. But salt is good. That purification process is good. That transformation. Salt has taste. Salt is a preservative. Salt brings a flavor to life. And it is good. The purification and the trials and all that you're going to go through is good. The fire, maybe the fire of the Holy Spirit it might be speaking of here the Spirit who convicts and who grows us up, it's going to come into your life. And you'll be salted for the saltiness of God. We can be thankful for God's love, His amazing love. Because He's wanting to reach out and He's inviting you to that table. And those who would receive would have life in Him. Amen.